Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. Very pleased to be joined by Helen Lee Wieg, the founder of the Reboot Foundation, a not-for-profit that is focused on elevating critical thinking throughout the world. Helen, welcome to Trending in Education. Thank you so much, Mike. I'm delighted to be on your podcast. Yeah, and we're delighted to have you. And I was doing my, my homework. You know, it is an educational podcast, so we try to... <laughs> try to do a little bit of prep. And your website, which is reboot-foundation.org, has a lot of really interesting research that you and team have done uh, about critical thinking in, in, in a way that's very relevant. I like to say zeitgeisty, at least once on the show every time, so uh, mission accomplished there. But can you talk a little bit about how the Reboot Foundation uh, came into being? I know you're your professional background is certainly interesting too. And I know the Reboot Foundation has been around for maybe a few years, but I'd love to hear how it came into being. Sure. So my background is actually, I've been in business for the last 25 years. I, I originally have been more focused on being a restructuring professional. That means helping companies that are in difficulty turn around their companies. So mm -hmm. that's, that's been sort of my historical professional background. And since a couple of years now, I'm what some people call a professional board member. So I'm on six different uh, publicly listed company boards and mm -hmm. helping them through, including right now, a lot of the challenges that they're going through the coronavirus, because yes. obviously it has major economical impact on businesses. But the real genesis of why I decided to fund and create the Reboot Foundation was twofold. One was in my business experience, I tried to assess what is one of the most important skill sets that business leaders need in terms of how they think through, make judgment calls in their day-to-day -day as well as critical business moments. And it always came back to the subject of critical thinking and the ability for individuals to do so. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, I had a bit of an aha moment a couple of years ago. My daughter is nine years old today, but it was back when she was six. She came home one day from school and she asked for my computer because she had to write 10 uh, sentences on one of the French kings. And a six-year-old's immediate reaction for school homework to ask for my computer to want to go to Wikipedia and look up information seemed to be quite an alarming dimension that I hadn't actually taken a pause and thought through. What does it mean as a parent to educate your child in this digital age when everything is about instant gratification, where you're looking for information right at the tip of your hands mm -hmm. that unfortunately is combined with blogs, institutional sources, Wikipedia, that some population believes that that's the same synonymon for encyclopedia. Right. And, and so it got me into thinking, and, and that's when I decided that I wanted to fund research, especially around helping us all to think about how we need to educate our children differently so that they become better critical thinkers in this environment today. Yep. And that's hugely relevant for parents and children and educators, but it's also hugely relevant for lifelong learners. You know, your experience, I imagine, you know, as a board member and someone who's helped organizations lead turnarounds, challenges around good critical thinking, good reasoning skills in support of decision making is not just relevant to educating children 
it's actually uh, relevant for all of us. Is that right? I think so. And, and, and it's one of those things that, you know, I think one of the first studies that we did at the Reboot Foundation was actually a survey. We interviewed over a thousand people in France and in the U.S. And I, I'm probably going to mention France a lot um, on, this, on this podcast, but it's because I'm actually based in Paris, France. So mm-hmm. that's a little bit of the context. But, and, and it's amazing how in that survey, everybody said that critical thinking was important. But then when you probed in terms of asking the questions such as, more detailed questions around whether or not we actually practice critical thinking. For example, you know, looking for an opposing view. Over 30% of the people said that they deliberately avoided people who have an opposing view. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, when we asked the question, at what age should parents be teaching critical thinking to children? It was completely varied from early young childhood to 18 years old to you know, it was, it was completely uh, across the board, mm-hmm. including one of the questions that we ask is who should be teaching critical thinking to children? And that question was also very varied in, in the responses of which 22% thought that children themselves should teach themselves critical thinking. Mm-hmm. So, that, so it was a little bit of an eye-opener to realize that everybody fundamentally believes that critical thinking is, is important. Mm-hmm. And it's not just because they read a, a McKinsey report that says it's going to be one of the three most critical s- skills in the future economy for adults in terms of their skill set. Yep. But it's, you know, but people people understand that it's important. But then when they actually think and say, well, what does that mean from a day to day? What I need to practice, what I need to think about, what I need to do differently, it becomes a lot more vague, doesn't it? Yes. Yes. And I, I wanted to get there with you as well, because, you know, it's interesting that a subject that's been around for many, many years, the phrase critical thinking has been around for quite some time. It is an emerging trend. I think there is an elevated awareness, maybe in part due to, due to your work, and I know there's plenty of work to continue to do, that it is a critical skill, you know, as it relates to the future of work, as it relates to dealing with the digital world that we're living in these days. But, but I'm not sure people go much deeper than that. I'm not sure, even if you asked me prior to this show, to define what critical thinking is. I'm not sure I would have had it uh, top of mind. So I'd love to hear from you. You, know, you were touching on it a little bit, you know, looking for opposing viewpoints and d- diverse perspectives. I think that's part of it. But I'd love to hear your perspective on how you define critical thinking because you, you obviously have spent plenty of time thinking about this. The way we define critical thinking broadly, it's a type of reflective thought that requires reasoning, logic, and analyses to make choices and to understand problems. It's about seeking opposing views, using evidence, and engaging in debate, right? So that's, that's, that's how we define critical thinking. Mm-hmm. I think a very simple way also, in terms of catchy way to think about critical thinking is uh, the opposite of critical thinking can be actually selective thinking, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that brings back the notion of, you know, questioning your own thinking, approaching with opposing views, which as we know, not just in the political sense, but even the way we gather information via Google, um, mm-hmm. that's very much on, you know, geared towards the information that you sought before. It, it's a reminder to all of us that we need to stop ourselves and try to avoid selective thinking. Yeah. And I'm, I was really struck by your thoughts around the need for speed and instant gratification that has become so prevalent in our culture, particularly, really the global culture, and then particularly uh, as it relates to the digital world that we live in, 
where everyone expects, you know, your daughter's example, you know, I, I think that's true, not just of nine-year-olds. I think that's true of all of us, or I guess she was six years old at the time, but, but it does seem like we all perhaps are lacking in some of the patience that was more part of human life, maybe until, I don't know, the last 20 or 30 years, the need for speed and, you know, sort of moving sure. towards, towards being, being more deliberative. Sure. Clearly, I mean, we, I mean, how many times have you actually been at a dinner table and somebody asks, you know, not a trivial pursuit type of question, but a question and somebody at the table is automatically going to go to their iPhone, Google it and get the answer. I mean, that, that is also the beauty of the world that we live in because information is easily accessible. And, and so, you know, that, that's, that's the benefit of the digital age. The disadvantage is it's, it's kind of like, you know, people talk about white sugar and why that is not very healthy because white sugar, it's that instant gratification um, and it gives you the instant high. Mm-hmm. Well, even in terms of information, while a lot more data is accessible to everybody, it actually discourages us from taking the time to stop and think and reflect. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about decision-making, thinking, and, and actually, you know, what we need to do more, and frankly, that's the only thing that human beings do better than computers, yes. is actually that reflection and what we often call metacognition, which is actually thinking about your own thinking mm-hmm. and catching your own errors based on your own personal cognitive biases, where you might be erroneous in your logic your mm-hmm. reasoning, or maybe even your perspective. Mm-hmm. It's definitely something that we need to remind ourselves to stop and take the time to think. And some people will ask me, well, how do you do that when it is about information overload all around you? You know, Some people meditate more so that they can have that opportunity to pause. I've always been a runner, so it's the long runs that allow me to kind of tune everything out and be able to think. So everybody has a different way that they can actually create that time for them. But, but I think it's very, very important because it, it allows us to avoid the mass overload of information and often erroneous information because another dimension of the digital world, which is different from paper or what we used to use, Encyclopedia Britannica or something to gather information, mm-hmm. is that it's very difficult online to differentiate between blogs, institutional sources, let alone fake news or misinformation that's often talked about as well. Yeah. As you were talking, it did make me think about the the cognitive uh, psychology concept of desirable difficulty, uh, which is tied to learning as well, where, you know, a little bit of you know, not, you don't want it to be too difficult so that the learner, you know, learned helplessness and, you know, they get frustrated and they stop. But you also don't want to make it too easy because that resistance that you have to work through, uh, even in your example of, of, of running, you know, like if, it, if you never pushed yourself to run a little bit further, you would never really get stronger. And I think some of the practices, some of the, the junk food, you know, white sugar that's out there are maybe establishing behavioral patterns that are not ultimately beneficial to us. And I do think there's increased awareness of this, uh, perhaps in part because of this global pandemic that is making us uh, reflect 
more on these types of things. And uh, many of us are at home with our children, trying to understand how we might instill the right kind of thinking in them, uh, especially when, you know, if you're, on, if you're sheltering at home with your kids, screens are likely going to be part of the scenario, at least part of the time. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the types of activities that parents can do with their kids to instill better critical thinking in them. Because if I'm reading you right, and it looks like it's really central to the Reboot Foundation, this is not entirely something for formal education to take responsibility for. It's something for parents to own, and for us as adults, it's, for, it's something for us to own ourselves. Can you, can you talk a little bit about how, how parents uh, can play a role in this? And I'd also like to get a little more into some of the research you've done in social media and about the, the coronavirus. But, uh, but I'd like to begin maybe by just getting your thoughts on what parents might uh, be able to do and how they can contribute to es establishing better critical thinking. Sure. And, you know, you're, um, j just as a precursor, the Reboot Foundation, we actually have published on our website a guide to how to teach critical thinking that's age appropriate to your child. Because obviously I mentioned cognitive bias earlier. Mm -hmm. Try explaining that to a six-year-old, you're probably going to get a lot of blank looks. Mm -hmm. So what we have we, on our website, you can actually find um, a guide for parents to help teach critical thinking to your child from age five to nine, 10 to 12 and 13 to 15 and upward. Mm -hmm. And in there, we actually also give exact kind of case study examples so that it's not just the elements of what you should be teaching your child at what age in terms of building blocks so that they have critical thinking skills, but also what types of exercises that you can practice and that's more age appropriate. But generally, if you're sitting home with your child, especially during this period when some of us are confined at home, et cetera, you know, I have a couple of tips. The first thing is you want to engage in conversations with your child. And when I say engage, it's, it's very, if, let's say a younger, uh, a child who's, you know, six, seven years old, they're in that stage when they're asking 20 million questions about why is something like this? You know, why is a shark, you know, gray versus white? You, you can have all sorts of questions. And it's very natural for parents to just quickly answer the question. Mm -hmm. But the why questions that the children are asking us, we should often play back to our children and try to understand, well, you know, when I say play back the question, what I mean is, well, why are you asking this question? You know, what makes you wonder about this? And, mm. and try to help the child actually reason their point of view or even their line of logic because Part of critical thinking is it's a little bit like interactive education that teachers do for solving a math problem. We often say that the answer is probably even less important than how the child got to the answer in mathematics. Yes. It's the same thing in terms of logic with your child. It's, it's helping them express themselves to argument themselves about their point of view mm -hmm. or even their questions. And one element that's linked to that, for example, you know, people often think that critical thinking should totally be disengaged with emotions. Actually, what we've studied show that, especially for younger children, the expression of emotion is actually the same part of your brain that does critical thinking later in life. Mm 
So the ability to express children's emotions, even in their argumentation, is something that you should train them to apply. Mm. And again, it, it encourages them to be able to express themselves with logic and with argumentation. So, so that's one element. The, mm -hmm. the, the other thing is obviously trying to do activities that they're interested in or, or talking about topics. You know, if my daughter really hates the piano, you know, me going into Tchaikovsky discussions and reasoning with her, it's just going to completely disengage her up front. So mm -hmm. a, a very simple thing is rather than saying, how was your day? More, ask, ask more follow-on questions with your child. That, that's already a beginning. Yep. That makes sense. So um, uh, I, I know you asked me the question about social media and, and especially, especially with the pandemic. So we just came out with a study around coronavirus and unfortunately what social media has has unfortunate impact in terms of misinformation about the coronavirus with this pandemic that is so detrimental to multiple communities I, you probably know that france is completely shut down and everybody's in confinement not yes. one state or another the entire country is in confinement mm -hmm. um we actually did a survey of over a thousand people in terms of the actual knowledge around COVID-19. And the, what was amazing is that one third of the people that we surveyed actually believe in myths about coronavirus. And what's even more noticeable is that people who are on um, social media, more frequently than hourly, have over 12% more. So we did a comparison of those that go on social media once a week and their appreciation relative to misinformation around coronavirus versus people that were on social media more than an hourly basis. And there was over a 12% difference in terms of how much they were subject to having wrong beliefs and misinformation about the coronavirus. So there is a correlation of, I wouldn't call it fake news, but you know, misinformation around uh, what is coronavirus, what do you do to avoid it, linked to how much we use Twitter and Facebook and social media, unfortunately. Yeah, which is, I guess, not surprising, but, uh, but certainly unfortunate. And any thoughts on how, aside from elevating awareness, any thoughts on how we begin to address some of this? You know, I guess elevating awareness is one of the, the, the key components. You know, digital literacy, you know, is something we've, we've talked about. Digital literacies is a really interesting concept. We talked about, there's a guy named Doug, Doug Belshaw who's done some interesting work on that where he almost equates awareness of digital formats and and being critical about how you engage in, in the digital world as almost a, analogous to how Howard Gardner's multiple intelligences are, are thought of, where like you actually have to develop different competencies to develop that critical perspective that you're talking about. Do you have, do you have thoughts on how we begin to, to, to turn the corner on some of these things? Yeah, so much of this is a little bit linked to, you know, how we're very susceptible to fake news. And I'm not defining fake news as Trump defines fake news. I'm de de defining it based on what is really misinformation out there. Mm -hmm. um, the, the reality is there's a couple of very 
obvious tools that people need to keep in mind as they're doing search online. For example, not using one source only to gather information, checking to see who the author is, what the source is. Mm -hmm. But you're right. You're absolutely right. That's not the natural reflex that people have. So we need to be trained. I mean, you know, one of the surveys that we did around fake news and how to try to minimize fake news, which is another study that the Reboot Foundation has published around, is if you look at journalists and actual researchers, they are less susceptible to fake news than, you know, call it a doctor or an average businessman. And it's because they've been trained that way in terms of their journalistic thinking, right? Mm -hmm. So there is an element it's like critical thinking, you need practice, even identifying fake news, you need to develop certain reflexes, so that when you go look for an information, you probably want to start with the CDC information, rather than a Facebook blog mm -hmm. that your aunt forwarded to you. Even though, obviously, it's more interesting emotionally, mm -hmm. to read that Facebook post or the Twitter post that is more sensational than to go on the CDC website. Right. So I, I guess there's uh, a need to instill, it's not quite grit, but it it's almost seems analogous to it. Like there is, it's almost similar to a muscle, like, a yes. you know, like to, to get practice and, and then also maybe understanding the, the relevance of learning that, you know? So I think frequently, the challenge is when you're in that instant gratification mode, you, you can lose sight of the fact that it's damaging, much like, you know, the junk food analogy, which you were talking about earlier, you know, until the really negative consequences kick in downstream. So yes. I, it does seem like if, if there are ways in which that the consciousness could be raised around the long-term problem, and, you know, again, humans have trouble thinking about long-term consequences, which again is, is sort of case in point around the, the reason why we want to <laughs> teach people better critical thinking. But, and and I, I guess that's also where the developmentally appropriate component that you were talking about before is also important, where you, know, you do want to make sure that if you're trying to raise a child with good um, impulse control and good long-term thinking and good critical thinking, you want to make sure you do that at the right the right time in their in their development but but i think there's another challenge also for adults where many of us we've talked about on the show like the importance of unlearning practices and unlearning behavioral patterns breaking habits that are are damaging to us and i i think it begins you know to to use the the cliche it begins by realizing you have a problem and i i would love to get your thoughts on how we can, well, first off, you know, this is a trend spotting show. Do we think people are realizing, increasingly realizing that there is a problem? You know, who do we need to get this information to so that they can change? And then are there, are there folks who may be too far away so that, it, that, that that's too hard to get to them? You know, like, it does seem like understanding there's a problem and then being willing to do the hard work of getting to that better place is what a lot of this is about. And I think that's where many of us get frustrated where we're not sure we'll be able to break through. So I'd love yeah. to get your thoughts so, on so that. I, I, so I, I guess it goes back to your example of building a muscle grit, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm not saying that 
this world today that we live in, you need, you know, we've always needed critical thinking, but I do think that in this digital world, the dynamics are changing sociologically in terms of how we gather information and whatnot. So the Reboot Foundation, we do believe that we need to train children earlier the skill set. The fact of the matter is, if you look at even in our schools and the way testing has become more and more, it's, it's a lot more multiple choice. Mm-hmm. It's getting to the right answer. It's not actually allowing children to explain how they get to their answer. You know, what we talked about earlier in terms of solving a math problem. It's yeah. true that if you look at our testing, they only check whether or not you got the number, the actual answer, right, rather than how you got there, right? So the irony is that we're doing everything much more based on correct answers, efficiency, performance, results, mm-hmm. when actually in this fast-paced moving environment where it's hard to actually take the time to step back, mm-hmm. we need to be teaching those skills much earlier to children than we have. Mm-hmm. And we shouldn't be having people, children write papers with opposing views only at the college level. We should be starting that much earlier. And, and that's one of the critical things that I would argue is, is what makes it necessary. So then the responsibility, where does it lie? And how do we make that accessible to everybody? Um, it, it goes back to, in my opinion, it's really the parent's responsibility. And it's giving that opportunity to have that conversation with your child, help them become better capable in terms of thinking through their logic, the metacognition dimension, Mm -hmm. but also being able to argument better, which helps them perfect their logic as well. Um, That's why, and, and even when I'm having this conversation with you, it still feels very esoteric and difficult to put that in terms of, well, what does that practically mean? So that's why, um, on our website, we actually try to give some concrete examples of even games that you can play with your child to actually help develop things that are more age appropriate. Yeah, that's, uh, that's fantastic. And and as I mentioned before, I have a 15 month old. So, you know, (laughs) Piaget would say he's not quite ready for critical thinking, but you never know, maybe he's an early learner. And I'd love to see how early you get with establishing this. But I think, you know, even your example of how to respond to those why questions is something that, that I think will stick with me. So on a personal level, I, I appreciate, appreciate that. We are getting closer to time. So I have two main areas that I wanted to hit before, before we wrap. One is trying to, and you touched on this a bit before, one is trying to understand the implications to the future of work and the, the fourth industrial revolution that we're facing today, which is you know increasingly automation, machine learning, robots, et cetera, will be taking on some of the the things that traditionally have been exclusively human domains. I'd love to hear your thinking on that. And then generally we conclude, so I want to give you a little time to think about how I typically conclude, is we ask for any trends that you're tracking more broadly that we haven't talked about. You could also reinforce some of the stuff that we've discussed already on the show, but we'd love to, to maybe conclude with you know, what are you, what are you really tracking? What do you see emerging in the, as we enter the 2020s and we're entering it in a very turbulent way? So, so we'll conclude with that, but I'd like to, I'd like to maybe begin by building on some of what you were talking about where that instant gratification, that going directly to Google or Wikipedia, in many ways, those are, those are things that 
could be offloaded to automation and machines, et cetera. And can you talk about, I think you mentioned that one of the few things that humans do better than machines is engage in some of this metacognition and deliberative critical thought. I'd love to get you to expand on that. Sure. So if, if it's obviously a repetitive motion or call it, you know, calculations, computers clearly do it better than us, right? So, you know, when we talk about big data today, artificial intelligence, automation, robots, etc., those are things that don't have today, although that will change, so we'll talk about that in the trends, when there's multivariable dimension, how do you actually solve for it? So if you go back 20 years and look at an Excel spreadsheet versus what an actual program, even with data figures, can do, it, it's night and day, so, so that, that's the evolution. But the reality is even for, for example, automatic cars, often what these companies actually need in terms of workforce, believe it or not, are philosophers. Mm -hmm. Let me take a step back. Why philosophers? Because for automatic cars, and maybe this is a bit of a sinister way um, to kind of end this program, um, at, when there's a driver, there needs to be certain decisions that need to be made for a car. The question is, if you have, if you go right and you're in a situation where you're clearly going to have an accident with the car, as the car's thinking through, actually the car's not thinking through, but as you're programming the cars, if it was an automatic car, if the car turns right, there is a school bus that you're going to hit. If the car goes left, there is an old lady who's on a walking cane that's, mm -hmm. that you might um, run into. So in that split decision, what does a car need to do? That's why there's actually philosophers who are even who are hired even more so than I would say computer scientists for automatic cars, just to yep. give an example. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? It, 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 it is true that today business decisions, especially at the speed that we're going, technology is changing constantly. You know, coronavirus hits, what do businesses do? How do you react to it? All of that. You can't program it. You actually need to make judgment calls based on not perfect information. So you need to make 80-20 judgment calls. And how do you equip yourself to do that? You need to have people who are skilled in questioning the assumptions to make sure that within the assumptions that you're making to make that business decision or to make that life decision that you've asked the right questions and the assumptions. Um, you need to have the capability to think through the logic um, and so that you see a scheme of how you're thinking through the next steps uh, based on the assumptions that you've defined. Mm -hmm. and, and then actually not pigeonholing yourself and saying, okay, well, that gives us the perfect answer. You, you do need to poke holes at that judgment that you make and say, what other facet of that decision could, could, could my assumption be wrong and what should I be thinking about differently? And those are all things that at least today, computers can't do for us. So that is why if you see different studies, one of the most important skill sets is indeed critical thinking because as the world evolves faster, just like we get information faster, the importance of being able to make 
decisions and judgments with, with it in a logical and pertinent way becomes more and more important in terms of what people can add that machines can't add. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's to answer your question about, you know, what, what, what it means in terms of the future of work and what we need to ch teach our children. Yeah. In and terms of trends and things that are emerging since, you know, we touched on a little bit about social media, fake news, misinformation, you know, the real, the real fear is actually deep fake, right? Because as much as I feel that, um, different scholars, different researchers have thought, have given a lot of thought in terms of giving the toolkits to people of how to identify fake news and how to identify misinformation. Deep fake is on another level of playing with emotion, isn't it? Because mm -hmm. it's not just about what you read, it's actually about what you see on it, a video, which even has another dimension of emotion. So those are some of the areas that I'm actually currently funding with the Reboot Foundation, around social media and the implications linked to how do you apply critical thinking to counter um, against some of these harmful medium, which, 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 which becomes more and more important. Yeah, it's super interesting. It, it does make me think also about real world scenario building and being able to respond to novel stimuli in ways that can be evaluated critically. I've, I've done some research into how to establish better decision-making practices. Yes. And, a, and a lot of that is tied to scenario-based thinking, where you yes. want to be able to plan for both, you know, best case scenarios, worst case scenarios, and then increasingly like black swan events or novel yes. scenarios. Yes. And the way in which you establish that type of thinking frequently requires those scenarios to be built out in some way. And that just seems like a very different way to train ourselves than taking a, a summative assessment with multiple choice questions that are all right or wrong. Yeah. If, if I go back to my personal experience when I have very, very difficult decisions to make, and when I try to diagnose a situation and try to think about what is the best uh, means to get the outcome that we want to get to. So, you know, how do I solve for that million dollar question? Mm -hmm. In those situations, believe it or not, Michael, I need it on paper. I actually need to visually see, you mentioned scenario analyses. I actually need to see words. I draw diagrams. I make links um, of words and phrases in terms of the linkage and the consequences. So there is something about on paper, actually visually drawing out, you know, people talk about diagramming for de decision-making. All of that is not just quote consultant jargon to actually help you think. For me, it's actually a true tool that helps, helps you visually see how to make the next step decisions relative to a problem. Mm -hmm. And the challenge that we have, and I am taking this to, an to another um, dimension relative to your question is, not only is the yes, no questions a problem, but when we, on top of it, when we respond, you know, SAT is now even online, right? Back mm -hmm. 25 years ago, it wasn't. 
And I know there's, you're going to say, well, who cares if you're actually penciling in the black mark? But at least on the actual SAT questions itself, you could hand write and draw and whatnot. Now yep. it's all done question after question on, on the computer. So you don't have that possibility or availability, even with your hand, to actually draw and think about the scenarios. So I do think that we need to complement the way we gather information today to make the decisions with that speed with something that is visual, that has that hand-eye connection, that allows you actually, again, to take a step back, not absorb the white sugar, but actually give yourself an opportunity to reflect and think that, that again, comes back to critical thinking. Yeah, and, it, and it, I know we're at time, but that also reminds me of uh, some of the research I saw around doing math work by hand and actually yes. the, the importance of those, I guess, almost neuro neurological connections, among other things, that not to mention the idea of the blank sheet of paper providing uh, a, a genuine canvas for, for human creativity and flexibility of thought, which is super fascinating. So in conclusion, Helen, first off, I'd, I want to thank you for, for your time and the work that you're doing. It's uh, super relevant and we could clearly uh, continue to go on. But are there any parting thoughts that you want to make sure you know, we drive home with our listeners? And, and then also, if you want to emphasize where they would go to, to find more of this work. You know, we mentioned reboot-foundation.org. If you Google the Reboot Foundation, uh, you'll find this. Any parting thoughts or uh, direction for folks who, who may want to dig deeper based on the conversation that we just had? Sure. You mentioned our website. We, you can sign up on our newsletter to gather more um, information as we continue to publish, but also do give us feedback because the benefit of being a foundation that is not reliant on any other organizations is that we choose and pick what we research and what we fund. So if there are areas that you think are important to you and are of interest to you, we do as a foundation make those decisions in terms of what we provide research and funding for based on what is of interest to our listeners and to our readers as well. So, mm. so please do keep that in mind. And I do want to just express to your audience that I hope that everybody does stay safe and stay healthy, especially in these strange times. And as they're gathering information about coronavirus, that they just pause and make sure that they do check the sources and so that they're please not misinformed because this is really the last moment um, right now that we should be having misinformation when there's such a critical health crisis going around us. Absolutely. Helen Lee Buig, uh, tremendous conversation. Really appreciate the work that you're doing. I'd encourage our listeners to dig a little deeper just in general. And we've talked many times on the show about the value of good curators of information in this very noisy, complex time. And very much appreciate your time and the work that you're doing. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Michael. And uh, for our listeners, uh, we'll be back again soon on Trending in Education.